0: and welcome to Season 2 of the Storyfest podcast. Storyfest is a biennial celebration of the art of storytelling held here on Murramurang Country in the Milton Mollymook, Ulladulla region, on the beautiful New South Wales South Coast. The episode you're about to listen to was recorded in June at Storyfest 2021. You can learn more about Storyfest at our website, storyfest.org.au, where you can also subscribe to our newsletter every month we feature some terrific book recommendations author interviews and fabulous book giveaways as a bonus subscribers get first dibs on special offers and early bird access to tickets for all of our events we'd love to see you at future festivals before we begin we'd like to thank the ulladulla high school didgeridoo group for providing the wonderful musical intro to this podcast now grab a cuppa or put on your walking shoes and enjoy this episode from StoryFest 2021.
1: Elders past, present and emerging and it's a great privilege to be here talking about language and to have already heard a song, part of a song, very quietly in language. Um, So I'll introduce Patricia. Uh, Patricia Ellis is a Yuan woman, a highly respected but reluctant elder, um, she describes herself. Trish has a BA in community management and a Masters in Aboriginal language from the University of Sydney. She's taught Durga for the last dozen or so years in educational institutions and within the community, Indigenous community. Um, she's just one of the kind of authors and wranglers of this Durga Dictionary and Learner's Grammar, a South East Coast, New South Wales Aboriginal language. Um, Trish, I thought we might start, could you just draw a map for us? The UN Nation's pretty big and then there are a bunch of language groups within that um, along the coast, including Durga, so would that... Be helpful for everyone to get a sense of where we are, and um, perhaps if you've driven, you know, for half an hour or an hour, where that would be, and what languages we're talking about when we talk about you and nation or you and country. Um, first, I'd like to
2: acknowledge the land that we're on today as well the people. I keep in with the Māori people, and it is not absolutely um, the only people goes out to Campbelltown follows the second row of the mountain range down past the Victorian border and lines up directly west of Cape Howe. There's 13 major tribal groups that make up the Yuan people. The Dharawal of Sydney, Lowry of Wollongong, Wadi of Nowra, um, Jeringer people of Orient Point, Wandi Wandian of Wandandian, the Walbunja people of Bateman's Bay, the Munkata Yuan of Braidwood, the Aralian people of Araluan, the um, I belong to the Brinji people of Maria. then we have the Jiringinj of Walliga Lake, the Dawa of Eden. And in Bermagui, we have Wathagadal or Walagadans, which two different languages mean the same word, it just means little people. Um, there's 13 major tribal groups that make up the Yon people, but there's four distinct languages that are spoken on Yuan country. Darawal is spoken down to Nara. Duruga, which the dictionary is about, is spoken from Nara to Naruma, and includes Araluan and Braidwood and then the Dhirunganj language of Waliga Lake and the Darwa language of Eden. The Dar- Darawa language of Sydney has the same phonetic sound system as what the duruga language does, so if we learn one of the languages, we can actually speak both because it's got the same phonetic sound system. We believe that the, the Dhirunganj language might actually be the same, but we're not sure yet but we do know that the Dawah language at the bottom of our boundary, bottom of your country, is more closely related to the Victorian languages so we haven't got a clue what they're saying.
1: (laughs) 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 Um, What a lovely way to travel down the coast. And I wish, often when I'm driving around, I wish there was some more signposting to make you aware of whose country you're you're passing through and when when you're moving on and, you know, signs in language. um, yeah, do you think that could you foresee that ever happening?
2: It will one day, but there's a lot of politics in Aboriginal communities about what is and isn't correct, and until we iron that out,
1: yeah,
2: you know, and everybody's happy with what happens, then yeah, it will happen eventually. Things yeah. are starting to slowly move forward.
1: Good. Um, would you like to talk about how this dictionary came into into being? Um, and all of the people and communities in involved. I mean, yeah, it's a, such a significant achievement.
2: In about the year 2000, my sister Kerry Boyengel was teaching at Browley Public School. And soon after, my brother Wayne joined her there as well. And there actually became an opportunity, the woman who spoke or who taught the German language at the school, because we all need to learn German. <laughs> The woman who taught the German language actually got a job opportunity somewhere else so she left so they didn't have a German teacher and Kerry suggested to the principal at the time who sadly passed now, Mr Jeff Ward, and very dearly missed, that maybe they could replace the language other than English with the local Aboriginal language and he said do you have enough words and Kerry said well we think we've got about 30 but we can get a grant and we can get some linguists to actually do some research and see what else we've got in our language floating around. So they did that. Kerry and Wayne actually wrote a submission to the Board of Studies and they were granted a certain amount of funds and those funds allowed for the employment of... There was probably half a dozen linguists at the time. And I don't remember all their names, so I'm not going to say any of them. (laughs) because <laughs> I'll get into trouble for not mentioning some, but there was one, there was one that um, stood out more than most and that was a woman named Louise Herkus, and she was well into her 80s when we started doing this. She'd actually recorded a lot of the language on the South Coast and she was so chuffed that we asked her to be involved and sadly she's since passed as well. Um, But out of that, we actually discovered that there was a young German woman named Jutta Besold who was studying the four or five languages, she thought, of the South Coast. One of the languages turned out to be a dialect. So Jutta, as her thesis, recorded, researched, worked with community, went to museums, got permission off community to access materials, and she actually came up with her thesis in... It wasn't until about 2012 that she actually submitted her first part of the th- thesis, but all the time, from 2000 onwards, she was actually working with the Aboriginal community to get that information. Kerry and Wayne were invited to the World Indigenous Peoples Conference to talk about language, where they encountered Maori people who were talking about how they, their whole process of bringing their language back to their communities. And it was through connections with them and people out at Dubbo, people all over Australia who were interested in reclaiming and revitalising language that that gave us ideas of how we could do it. Um, At the time, They actually taught the language at the Browley Public School one day a week and Kerry and Wayne had every class for half an hour. Every Oh, actually it was two days, Thursdays and Fridays. And they insisted that the teachers sit in on the classes as well so that the kids could practice language every other day as well as those days. And as a result of that, they got more funding and they were able to put different programs in place. They actually, out of memory, called that the Jamaga uh, or Jammaburoja, which translates to I speak, I speak language. Burroja means tomorrow, we're going to speak language tomorrow. Um, I was actually working at the TAFE. Oh, I was the chairperson of the Land Council as well, and we put in for a grant to bus our elders to the school to watch the language classes and every time the elders sat in on the classes you could see them wiping away tears mm. so it was quite an, an emotional journey for our elders to actually see the kids speaking in language and then as a third partnership we um, joined up with the TAFE and Iris White, who was the Aboriginal Development Manager of TAFE at the time, initiated the Certificate 1 in Aboriginal Languages. So, in around 2008, we started teaching the Certificate 1 in Aboriginal Languages. I'm not a primary school or high school teacher, I've got 33 years' background in teaching adults at TAFE, out of TAFE Illawarra, now TAFE New South Wales. Um, So we had this three-way partnership and all of the language grew out of that. But the whole time we were teaching language, we didn't have a dictionary. Mm -hmm. We had lists of words and we photocopied lists of words and handed them out to people. And then every time we found out something new, then that made that last list redundant. So we had to keep handing out new lists of words and we just thought, this is not good enough. We need a dictionary. In 2017, Two good things happened. Well, one good thing and one not so good thing. My sister um, got lymphoma. She got cancer in her close to her voice box. And um, I actually took a voluntary redundancy from TAFE and I took the whole year off, partly so I could annoy her <laughs> and partly because I thought it was a good opportunity for us to do this. Uh, Kerry and Wayne actually started the whole language journey and the way to acknowledge that was for the three of us to be authors. But in 2017, I actually extracted all of the Durga words from Yudha Besolt's thesis and I approached um, the Australian National University a linguist named Jane Simpson, who pounced on it. Wow! You know, like they were really blown out at what we'd already done. And she helped me to write a submission to IATSIS. I formed my own company called Minga Aboriginal Cultural Services, put in for a submission, and we got funded to work on the dictionary for Oh well, it didn't fund us for the whole year. I ended up; My company ended up paying most of it, but... Thanks to the National University and IATSIS and all of the people, all of the linguists that we worked through with that, we were able to pull this together. They actually loaned me two summer students who came at, down to where we lived and stayed with us and helped us to pull all of this together. But before that, I'd actually been teaching Durga language in the certificate one at the TAFE for well, probably about... I taught it for about 12 years at the TAFE. And we had courses in Nara, we had courses in Jervis Bay, uh, down at Naruma, um, quite a few in Maria. And it was through those courses and with the Aboriginal people who did those courses, like the Jervis Bay mob gave us the categories that we used in the dictionary. The Ulladulla mob refined the words that we'd already... Like up here in Ulladulla, we've done several courses in language and only just recently finished one. Mel was involved in that. Um, Paul, who did the Welcome to Country, he was involved in that. We had a linguist working with us in the course. Now we've gone from just being able to say words to actually being able to say sentences. And the dictionary has actually made that happen. There's so much that has come. We just wanted to get something that we could use to teach with. That was all we wanted. But so many people have embraced this and they've gone off in all sorts of different directions. The Ulladulla Mob have actually almost created the second book to go with this that teaches you how to teach language. Mm. Uh, We have a choir, women's choir group down at, um, came out of the Four Winds Festival called (laughs) Jilam, I can never remember their first name, but it's Yilaga. It means singing. To country or singing happy or something like that, and they are just amazing. Every time I hear them sing, I cry. So,
1: you said um, earlier that they're, they're travelling around, healing the country.
2: Yeah, these women don't just sing; they love to sing, but they are amazed at how powerful it makes them feel, even when they're singing at rehearsals. And they believe that their singing is helping to heal country. And I believe it is too. So many. I attended the, um, the launch of uh, the UN Country Explored video because I was in it. <laughs> but um, we attended that at the Australian National Museum a couple of weeks ago, and there were like 300 people who watched this. Then the choir got up and sang, and there wasn't a dry eye in the whole group.
1: Everyone was howling, so. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's the power of language. Absolutely. Sung so so on country. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't quite know how to ask how much, how important this is and how much it means. I mean, you, you spoke of elders coming and seeing um, young people coming through and, and learning language. Mm. Um, it, it, it must have changed a few people's lives. Absolutely. We've always been asked to get up and do
2: Welcome to Country. To be able to do that in language just makes it so much more powerful. The very, very first course that we ran at the TAFE to learn the Duruga language, there were 18 Aboriginal people. Some travelled down from Canberra to Maria. Some travelled from Wollongong and Nowra, Vincentia, Some travelled up from Down Way. There was 18 of us and it was the first time ever in the history of TAFE that we had a 100% retention rate. <laughs> <laughs> so, and everybody went away from that with their own little journeys in language. Um, my brother writes songs and he sings in language. Other people write songs, they sing in language. Elders wanted to be able to do Welcome to Country. All the Aboriginal education assistants that worked in the schools wanted to be able to take language into, into the schools and actually know what they were talking about. So. It's just spread out in so many different directions.
1: So are other um, schools further afield picking up this as a a model, something that they might do in their own language areas? We have a sad shortage
2: of people who teach it. Very, very sad. At the moment, I teach at uh, St Bernard's every Thursday and Friday. I teach the whole school language. On Tuesdays, I teach Carroll College. My sister Kerry is teaching at St. Bede's, Maria Public School, and Badalla Public School. Um, my niece Marion was teaching out at Jervis Bay, but she's not well at the moment. Um, I don't know anybody, oh, Paul probably does a bit of language at the school that he works at, he's at Bateman's Bay High. Um, but what we want to do is, we don't want to be the only ones who are teaching, we want there to be a whole heap of
1: people because one day I'll want to (laughs) retire. Of course. Um, I was wondering about that, um, the PhD student and that thesis, what sort of resources were they using? Were they out consulting with community or were there sort of archival? Yeah, what were they? One of the most amazing things about
2: this, and I wouldn't have put my name to it if I didn't think it was the most authentic um, collection of our language. Yudha Bessolt when she did her thesis, she wrote down the source of the information and the informant. And when you go through the first part of the dictionary where it's got Duraga to English, it's actually got a brown border and that's duruga to English in alphabetical order, every one of those words has the source and the informant. So, for example, balia, um, which means northeast wind, um, it was recorded by Yudha Besalt, but it was also recorded in Maruya. It's got U, which means it was recorded as duruga, Uh, It's got R.D. which means it was recorded by a man named Richard Dorsey, I think his name was. And it's got the page number 421 that shows you in his notes where exactly to find that reference. And then there was another reference uh, recorded as a Durga language by um, Matthews. And it's in page one, chapter one of his notes that are held. And if you go through her thesis, you can actually see where all of this is held. So every word has at least one um, reference to where the information came from, but some of them have 20. So that validates it. The more people who recorded that word, the more valid that particular word is. Now, one of the things that happened when we were doing the Ulladulla classes is what I said, should we just put in the words that were identified as duraga? What about the words that were identified as being recorded in Maria? What about the words that were identified as being South Coast language? What about the words that are just called Yuan language? And it was actually a decision of the class that we should include them, but identify them as where they came from and, and not make out that they were Duruga. We don't know whether they were Duruga or not, So we put them in anyway and we left that up to people. Now when this came out, a lot of people said, but what about this word and what about this word and what about (coughs) this word? The sad fact is that when Aboriginal people were all herded together on missions and reserves, all of our languages got mixed up. So a lot of people think that they're speaking Duruga, but they could be speaking any one of six different languages. We had Wiradjuri people. A lot of people think Burai is our word for baby, and it's not, it's a Wiradjuri word. So a part of this was going through and making sure that the words we've got in here are actually from the Duruga language. Thank you. you welcome. I I did forget to mention that that artwork Mm -hmm. is actually from my brother Wayne. He's a very talented artist and he incorporated in the artwork the ocean, the land, the mountains and the night sky and he put all the animals in. And he wouldn't let us pay him for that, because he wanted us to acknowledge him every time we talked to
1: him. A plug is worth money sometimes. Um, I mean, you mentioned, it, you touched on, on this a little just then, um, in the missions, the, the process of mixing up language, separating people out from their country, but there's a lovely phrase in the introduction about um, Durga having been sleeping, you know, and it's been awakened, which is lovely and poetic, but not actually that accurate because it wasn't sleeping. There's more violent verbs I could come up with to describe the process of um, suppressing a language. Could you talk a bit about that process, you know, exactly how that happened? Because I don't know about everyone here, but when I studied history at school, um, I grew up in Wiradjuri country and I did not hear the word Wiradjuri until I was in my mid-twenties and there was no mention of um, the traditional owners of the land and the processes that had gone on um, to to drive Wiradjuri away and lock them up and suppress a language and, you know, um, I just, yeah, I'd like to hear in your words how that applies to language, you know, which is central to a to a culture? Part of the protection policies is Aboriginal people
2: were not allowed to speak language. Um, There were efforts by some anthropologists in the early days to go around and they actually, with the assistance of the police, because the police were directed to help, they had to um, detain Aboriginal people and ask them to say as many Aboriginal words as they knew and then they were recorded by the Royal Anthropological Society and places like that, which, in a sense, wasn't a bad thing, but you've got to remember that in those days, Aboriginal people were terrified of police, and some of the words that they told the police, they made it up. And when you learn language, you actually learn that what they were saying to the police and to the linguists was go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a little bit am- amusing when you look back through all the history <laughs> of it, but um, I don't remember where I was going with that, but the... Um,
1: well, all of the policies and actions, that yeah. the um, colonising process, which is ongoing, to, to deliberately wipe out
2: a language. Yeah, well, it was a deliberate effort to wipe out language, but it didn't stop us from talking language at home. The Durga language language was actually considered to be on the verge of extinction. But even growing up, we knew words. We knew lots of words. We knew Mujangal meant um, best friend, spirit protector and guide. We knew mirigarn meant dog. We, we used to talk in our own language amongst ourselves, but then as soon as you went to school or you were out in the broader community, we didn't use those words. But you know, funnily enough, when I was going to school, when the other non-Aboriginal kids heard words, they wanted to learn them as well. So, And yeah. it was good fun being able to speak a language that nobody else knew <laughs> what you were talking. But we only knew words, we didn't know sentences. And that's why the durable languages was considered to be on the verge of extinction. But there were actually, part of Yoda Besold's thesis was actually finding all of the references to our language. And we went from having, I don't know, 30 words to now we've got 730, <coughs> 730 yeah. words.
1: Yeah. But it's not just the... Um Okay, in a way that doesn't sound like many words but it's a lot from when you're given when you are started with thir- you're thinking, oh, we've only got 30 to write down, ends up 728. But there's also the grammar in here now and, you know, how to construct a, a sentence and... Sounds. Yeah, the yeah, pronunciation, which, you know... You want to hear great. that? <laughs>
2: yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Now I know my phonemes.
1: And the vowels are different. I mean, it's, o- it's interesting studying any other language because it makes you think about your own. You know, the differences are sort of startling. Um, we take for granted the, the language that's our first, but um, I don't know, it feels even more meaningful um, beginning to l- look at a language but the vowels would you talk about the vowels because that's quite different there's to six ours. vowels yeah
2: we have ah uh, ah uh, which is our crow vowel ee e, which is our monkey vowel <laughs> and oo uh, uh, which is our owl vowel and that's how we teach it to kids with language you teach adults exactly the <coughs> same way as you will teach children because everybody's got to start from scratch pretty much um, we have twenty twenty four I think phonemes um, there's the six vowels there's about nine single letters which are the same as English but they only say one sound and then there are I think they're called graphemes i 'm not sure but they are ones like um, let me go through it uh, uh, but uh, duh. dh we have d h we have de So with D-H-D-J, we have the trill, which is a double R, which doesn't happen in very many languages but it does in ours. Since we actually did that, now I know my phonemes, we've had to add three more to it and I can't for the life of me figure out how to put those in and still make (laughs) it sound the same. (laughs) But when you're teaching it to children, it's easy to do if you've got songs. So. We try to do as many songs as we can in language to teach the language.
1: Mm. Mm. And it's not just about vocabulary and grammar and phonemes. I mean, this is this is a culture in Very here. This is a living is. culture in here and a living language. It is. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've kind of answered this question in a way that the process of putting pulling the dictionary together, um, you know, you need to be adding new, wor- you know, it is, is the language still evolving or is it a matter of more knowledge sort of coming out of the woodwork and, and being incorporated into it? You know, a living language, as it continue to uh, evolve? Just from this, we've actually, um
2: We're teaching the language in schools and the schools are making resources. But I guess my biggest success story is the Ulladulla mob. They have been doing nighttime classes. We've been doing language courses. I I came up here and we did one language course, then after that we did another language course. And now the Ulladulla Local Aboriginal Land Council have supported the local Aboriginal community getting involved in Um, doing the The thing is this is no good unless people actually use it and the more people that use it the more chance we have of bringing our language back up until the dictionary we were only able to say words now with the different courses that we've run um, like I, I teach at schools I teach at primary school I teach at high school but I'm actually A trained TAFE teacher I'm not a primary school or high school teacher and so we do nighttime courses with adults and some of those courses have got no academic outcome at all it's just because the Aboriginal community we want our language back and through getting our language back we've been able to develop more resources and nobody's done that quite as good as what the Ulladulla community has um, we're up to a stage now where there can be a second publication that goes into goes more in-depth in putting sentences together. It's not easy to put sentences together in our language. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. I work with a great bunch of people. There are so many people involved in bringing our language back. It's, not, it's never, ever been just me and my sister Kerry and my brother Wayne. It's always been something it's just that our names are on the front of them. <laughs> it's always been something that the whole community does, because it's something that the whole community wants. I've never seen anything promote pride in Aboriginal people like our language does. The first time I delivered language at the TAFE in Maria, the very first day it was like you were extracting teeth from all the people that <laughs> came in. They were so not wanting to be there but by the end of the day they walked out with their head held high, their chest out and so much pride and you can't measure that but we can see it and that's what our community, that's what Aboriginal communities need. We need our language because language and culture goes hand in hand. You can't do one without the other.
1: Well, there's a lot of natural history knowledge, you know, the local natural history knowledge in here, too. Which, you know, as a non-indigenous person, I've just been poring over and yeah. and and loving. It's just so affirming um, as someone living in the area. I went out on a bit of a branch and I put some stuff in there, and there will be people who
2: will dispute it. But like what?
1: Give us an example. Oh,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> controversy. Mm-hmm. Um. Some
2: people will say this is a Duruga word but you haven't got it in the book. Mm. That's because we can't prove that it's a Duruga word. And no one's saying don't use your Duruga words and no one's saying this is right and you're wrong. What we're saying is this is a guide for people who don't have anything. You know, um, The Duruga dictionary, now we have a dictionary. If another dictionary comes out in three years time that is bigger and better, great. Yeah. That's what we want. Yeah. yeah. So, just this was just to get everybody to actually be able to... You know, I want my grandkids to be able to speak my language. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, it's been a... sounds like it's been an amazing tool um, for the community... communities um, and the process of putting it together, even. But, um, I mean, you're talking about teaching... Um, duriga to young Indigenous people um, and adults too. Are non-Indigenous people able to learn the language? Are they welcome in these classes? Are they interested? Is anyone interested?
2: There are a lot of people who are interested in learning our language and there's no issue with us teaching people who work with Aboriginal community anyway. But When we first started this, there was actually a committee formed because Vincentia High School actually has the Doorooga language program running there and has done for quite a number of years. Now, the Aboriginal community said, we don't want you to teach, well, particularly on a TAFE level, We don't want you to teach non-Aboriginal people our language. We want you to teach Aboriginal people our language so we can all go out and teach our language. Because it means more to Aboriginal people to learn language from our own mob. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I'm sure people will understand that. But that's not to say that non-Aboriginal people can't learn Duruga. In the end, we need everybody to be speaking Duruga, otherwise (laughs) it's going to die again. Yeah. So yeah. it's just that we want to have the backup in our communities of Aboriginal speakers before we sort of s- spread it yeah.
1: around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're at a writers' festival. There's a lot of writers here, and people are interested in writing. Um, you know, I'm someone who writes about place and the natural world a lot, and you know, there's a lot of um, areas to navigate there around wanting to acknowledge traditional owners of the land and, you know, the whole history of a place um, and traditional names rather than, you know, some white fella's name for a bridge or a river or whatever it is. But then, you know, where's the line for an aspiring writer in um, using some Durga language or traditional names? You know, have you got thoughts ab- around that or... There's no line there. As long as you consult with the Aboriginal community that
2: owns that language, there's no lines. Andrew Bragg, who's a senator, just published a book called Booraja, which means tomorrow. He consulted with our local Aboriginal community and we said, you know, the more people who use it, the better. He acknowledges yeah. in his book that it means tomorrow. He, he's actually working on... Um, I forget what it's called, but it was some kind of um, statement, the Uluru Statement, yeah. He was working on that and he's very much into reconciliation and and promoting Aboriginal culture and Aboriginal languages and we were actually quite proud that he wanted to call his book Burraja.
1: Yeah, yeah. So So consultation is the answer to to all the parts of that question. Absolutely.
2: If you don't have consultation, it will actually Appear to be quite arrogant when the language does belong to the Aboriginal people. Yeah. It belongs. It's our language. Consultation doesn't hurt. You might even find out something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I mean, do you get lots of people approaching you with these types of questions? Keeping you busy?
2: <laughs> My phone never stops. Okay. I'm in the middle of a 14 day job. Like, I don't get a holiday now until after the second week of the school holidays, I think everybody, because of the dictionary, we're sort of dragged all over the place. So we can pick and choose what we do. And The reason why I wanted to do this is I want our mob to be speaking our own language. It's as simple as that. We have our own language. It's a really rich language. It's very lovely to hear the language when it's spoken. It sounds like people sing. And it just gives us so much pride and it's, it's really long overdue that the Aboriginal community yeah, were acknowledged and had something, you know, pushed out something that we can be really proud of.
1: I mean it's interesting, there to, it does seem to be a bit of movement um, like in literature. Um, the name of the book has gone out of my head. A Beautiful Wiradjuri book that has the Wiradjuri Dictionary. Won the Miles Franklin last year, help me out. The Yield, thank you, Tara June winches the Yield, had the dictionary in the back, and the dictionary is actually a character in in the book, and, you know, it miles, Franklin, so our time, but, um, yeah, the dictionary is kind of the most engaging, it sounds mad, but the dictionary is the kind of most engaging narrative in the book, I just love it. But um, um, Melissa Lukashenko's uh, Too Much Slip, of course, um, including, you know, language is working its way into mainstream, literature and and being embraced, both purchased, read and awarded. Um, So much music, you know, sung in language, again, hitting the mainstream or William Barton, you know, the didgeridoo player, you know, playing with all these orchestras all around the world. I mean, it does feel like the value is being, for all of us as a nation, is being
2: recognised. I think everything's slowly changing. I believe the Jilamah... Oh, God, I can never think of their name. The women's choir. (laughs) (laughs) They sound amazing, but I do believe that they're healing when they sing. And they believe they're healing when they sing. And I think everybody in the room believes that they're healing when they sing. And by healing, I mean they're healing country. And I believe that things are moving in a more positive way. Things are a lot better today than what they were when my mother and grandmother were around. You know, people were treated badly and all of that's starting to change. People are starting to recognise that Aboriginal people do actually have quite an ancient knowledge and you're not going to tap into it if you're nasty, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you get to know people, you get to know lots of information that you didn't even know was there. And our, our people, my people, our country, It's all still as sacred to us as what it was 250 years ago. Our language is sacred to us. Our stories are sacred to us. And our connection to each other and our country is sacred to us.
1: Um, The English language does a really good job of separating humans from the natural world. Um, We speak about trees as it's inanimate objects. Um, during this process, I mean, you're bilingual, obviously. Um, did you notice any differences, or are you able to explain, in, in better than I could, that this dictionary shows a lot about relationships between people? That's quite important to how our sentences, phrases, constructed. But what about our relationship to the natural world? Um, that's probably something that doesn't even need saying in Durriga, but. In English, this is a big topic of conversation at the moment. I, you know, I, I'm a nature writer because I write about the natural world when really it's just what I write and how I live my life, if you know what I mean. But it's atten- it brings attention, uh, needs a label. you know, as I don't imagine it does. I'll tell you a little story that will explain that, I think.
2: Um, this choir, they actually had to do a performance down on the headland and they sung a song in language about calling the whales and the whales came. Oh. And they were just so blown out because the whales heard them and they came. Wow. And there's dolphin songs that you can sing up, the dolphins and you know, it's not just words. It's actually all a part of our being. It's a, It's all... I don't know, I don't know the right words for it, but it it blew them out that the whales came. We have songs in our language calling up the dolphins and I know people who call up the dolphins. So, you know, whether you believe it or not, it's what happens. Every part of nature, Aboriginal people were able to sing to different plants and create abundance. Aboriginal people were able to sing and bring the rain. Aboriginal people knew how to not so much control but encourage different elements to happen.
1: And I've noticed walking with Aboriginal people um, out in the bush that there's always this acknowledgement of another being, you know, a bird or a, oh, hey, you know, Uh whereas (laughs) <laughs> yeah, most of the people I walk with just yeah, don't even see them, let alone acknowledge the other creatures around us. Yeah, so it's just a different... I just wondered how language reflects that, you know, because I feel like trying to write in English, using the, the, the words available to me, I struggle to convey my feeling for trees or the natural world. You know, I feel that the words aren't really there for me. Yeah. When
2: anybody walks on country, they throw a handful of dirt or sand or ochre or they sing out. Some people just coo <laughs> Everyone has their own way of doing it and that lets the spirits know that you're going to walk on country and we believe that the spirits will soon let us know if you're not welcome there. So
1: is that an appropriate thing for non-Indigenous walkers to do as well, just to stop and acknowledge, you know, f- figure out some form of, um, you know, much clumsier acknowledgment but acknowledgment and just to pause before starting on a walk, for example. with this be a nice but practice? How do, you,
2: how do you know if you don't actually talk to Aboriginal people? Yeah. Whenever you go for a walk with Aboriginal people, the first thing you do is acknowledge the country that you're in. Yeah. You know? We acknowledge each other's country. That's respectful. Not yeah. to do that is really disrespectful.
1: Yeah. I um, really like the, um, the writer Kim Mahood she wrote a lov- lovely essay once about, um, you know, does this, this country understand English, <laughs> you know? All I've got is, and she does actually have a little language. Um, but, yeah, how, how as non-Indigenous Australians we, we make those acknowledgements and try and walk respectfully across the land, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: I think we'll open up to our massive audience for questions, I hope you've stored some up. Um, Thank you. So we do have a mic coming, so it is a big space, we might wait for it, sorry.
2: Many things just in that? <laughs> um. <coughs> the language. We have 24 phonemes, and they're phonemes because they're not letters of the alphabet. The letters of the alphabet, if you look at it, you can see that "ah" can be "A" or "R." Ah". It can have so many different sounds. With the Durga phonemes we have 24 sounds, and that's all they are is one sound. so it's "a ah Oh hang on, we got three more there.) <laughs> um, i Miss Earl. <laughs> can't cheat and look at the dictionary. Um, <laughs> you can. That's what it's for. <laughs> oh, 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 what, yeah. I just did them out of order. But those sounds only ever make one sound. They can't make any other sound. So when somebody's reading it, you can actually break a word up. So our word for tomorrow is buraja. So you go buraja ur, a, j, a, and if you say that quick enough, you actually say the word. So that's how our language is actually quite easy to learn. The TAFE course we did ran for about 15 weeks, and at the end of that, people were pretty confident in speaking Durga. But you've got to remember that Aboriginal people only had words. We didn't have a written language. Our language was always passed down by word of mouth. So getting used to the idea of learning hmm. it by reading it, but a lot of it is actually repetition. Once you know I think there's twenty four phon twenty four phonemes, once you know all of all of them and you say them correctly, you can speak Durga. Hmm. It's that simple. Once you learn those twenty four phonemes. Hmm.
1: Which I just got out of order. But anyway, <laughs> Um, that, that there is a section in the dictionary, though, about um, pronouns, which I think was part of that very long question, um, but there aren't he, she, it, isn't there? No. There's yeah. no he, she, it. There's no,
2: um, there's no... There's a word for I, but there's no M, I am. There's a lot of words that are missing, but when you actually talk language, you find that the English language I studied language. I did a Master's in Indigenous Languages at Sydney University and my lecturer, our mantra every morning is, English is crap. (laughs) And the reason why he said that is because it steals off every other language (laughs) and it's got so many words in it that it doesn't need. (laughs) Because you don't have to say, um, I am here. You only have to say, I here or hear I. And with language, with the Durga language, we actually put the most important thing first and then the rest follows in a specific order. And it takes a little bit of getting used to, but that's because we've been all, all been taught English and it's been pumped into everybody's head right from when they're quite little. But English steals off every other language. <laughs> And that's why it's so hard to learn. It's the hardest language in the world to learn. You can speak Durga after 15
1: days. (laughs) 15 hours if you're good at it. bit easier than German, I imagine. Yeah, Yeah, with all its grammatical constructions. Do we have another question somewhere? Just wait for the mic, which has been detoxed
2: We learned about that by listening to the recordings that they have at IATSIS of people speaking in language. The linguists, uh, when we first started to do the Duruga dictionary, we actually, there were about half a dozen, maybe even more linguists involved and they searched all over Australia and found different resources that were already there and there is some of our language actually recorded at the Australian Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies. So um, Yeah Did that answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: Karen, did you have a question? What about this word? What about that word? So it sounds like the dictionary could be an evolving thing. Do you have
2: it in you to (laughs) revisit and expand it over time? Is that part of the plan? We've actually had some courses running out of Aladala, and there's a couple of people here who have been doing those courses, and it has, has already evolved, where people are now being able to speak to each other in sentences where before we could only use words and not only speak to each other in sentences but be able to respond and to do songs and and know that we're doing it the way that our language was done traditionally. So, you know, like I'm quite proud to be a part of that but this is not mine anymore. (laughs) We did it with the dictionary. That was all we wanted was to give a bit of a (laughs) kickstart and now it's just gone off in lots of different directions and I'm happy to just float along whichever way it goes, but I have to say that the Ulladulla community are actually leading the way with the language at the moment. They're more advanced than any other community by far. Some of the places where I do language would be like a Certificate 1 level. Ulladulla's already up to like Certificate 3 level. Pulling sentences together, being able to... You heard, oh, if you were here when Paul did the welcome... He did the welcome in language and it just makes your heart swell when you hear people yeah. speaking in our language and you know what they're saying.
1: Yeah. Any questions for this third of the room that I kind of have my back to come on. <laughs> Don't be shy. Okay. Um so much for this. <laughs> I wonder if you could a language. Yeah, I like the songs. (laughs) You could have a song book. You want
2: some language. Paul, you got anything off the top of your head? (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Usually when I do Welcome to Countries, I will... um God, you put me on the spot. (laughs) Um, Usually I can talk all day. (laughs) Dharamala Nyumbada Nindiwan May our God bless you Jamaga, um, still in the morning, Jamaga Bumalaga Usually that's the kind of greeting I do anyway Say Wallawani, Jamaga Bumalaga, Dharamala nyumbada, Nindiwan So basically I said Wallawani um, means safe journey We don't have a word for hello and goodbye because in our culture we believe we're always going to see each other. doesn't Mm -hmm. matter whether in spirit or physical we always believe that we'll always be together again at some point. So Walawani is our way of blessing each other's soul, I guess, is a way to say, and recognising each other. Um, uh, Jamaga is um, good. Jamaga Bumalaga is good morning. Jamaga Yerabini is good afternoon or night. Dharamala Nyumbada Nindiwan is may our God bless you. (laughs) That's usually how I do welcome to countries and things like that. You put me on the spot. I can't remember (laughs) a sentence off the top of my head. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can sing. Not very well. Yeah, let's close with a
1: bit of singing, if you don't mind.
2: <laughs> we started with a bit of singing.
1: Yeah, and we'll cl- close the same way. Okay, and this is thanks to the
2: Aladala mob. Um, we actually sat down and worked out how to sing We Are Australian in Uruga. <laughs> we worked at it, we passed it by the linguists and made sure that we had it all right. So, um Midindal Neyawanya, Dawamalanya Neyawanya Paranda, Dawamalanya Yanane, Nyamanjali nyay Nyamada Midindal Yuhuwin, Nyaga Nindiga Neyawanya, Australian. Yay! Beautiful. Thank you everyone for coming out on a pretty cool,
1: pretty fresh Saturday morning. Um, would you please join me in Patricia Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> Patricia will be signing dictionaries um, in the bookstore immediately after the event, and if you had any questions you weren't brave enough to ask um, while we're up on stage, I'm sure Patricia would be open open to yeah having a chat over a signing. But yeah the dictionary is available for some or I don't know why I'm cutting in and out so I'm gonna stop talking. Um, but again thank you very much. Thank you.